Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Core 4 Podcast. I am Andy. I'm found on Twitter at 27XWSChamps. And alongside me are my co-hosts, Max, John, and JP. We're here to bring you Yankees news, reactions, opinions, and analysis. We come to you from varying angles of baseball lore, so we will be bringing you student-of-the-game perspectives, historical perspectives, analytics, and much more. But as I said, we are the Core 4 Podcast, so allow me to turn this over to my co-hosts. Um, yeah, I'm Max. Uh, most of y'all probably know me. Uh, Twitter handle Max Wildstein. Uh, uh, I just do tweets, gifs, videos, pretty much my whole thing. And, you know, uh, that's, that's what I do. Uh, and then next, uh, I got John. Uh, John's going to introduce himself. All right, I'm John. Um, my Twitter is at JohnPizzano98. Um, um, I tweet about the Knicks, the Yankees, the um, Jets, almost any sports, and I'm going to um, hand this off to um, JP. What's happening? I'm JP. You can find me on Twitter uh, with that at pinstripe POV. I enjoy looking at uh, stats, analytics, uh, nerd about uniform numbers, stuff like that. Uh, enjoy those kind of details about baseball. And, and so uh, we're uh, super excited to start this off um, ahead of spring training. Pitchers and catchers reported today, and we've got uh, a couple of different topics to discuss, um, both focused on the 2019 season as well as uh, our experiences as Yankee fans. So first thing we want to get into, of course, a new podcast, we want to um, sort of lay out what we're going for. Um, we don't want to just be casual fans or just be a super analytically driven uh, group of people. We've got the benefit of having um, people who have a lot of different knowledge and a lot of different skills. Um, For example, like I said, I enjoy digging into super um, detailed stats and there's Max who's got the insider um, side and, we, we all have different interests and different strengths, and that's something that we've, uh, we're really excited to do. And, yeah, and I, I really think that's what really uh, puts us over the top as opposed to, you know, other podcasts that I've seen and I've heard of and things like that. And I think really just the varying perspectives and just how, I, you know, necessarily gifted we are at, at the things that, you know, we bring to the table. And not only do we bring many things, but, you know, to the highest degree and to the Know, to the highest extent and I think that's what really will separate us from the pack as we as we create a name for ourselves in in the Yankees sphere so I'm excited to get started and you know with a great group of guys and it's gonna be great um so one of the things we wanted to get into of course as we look ahead to um as the season gets going um expectations um Aaron Boone was asked at his opening press conference today um, whether he thinks the 2019 Yankees are better than the 2018 Yankees, and his response was, I hope so, which I found interesting. He did not uh, jump right into saying we're a better team despite an improved starting rotation and a bullpen that has been bolstered with the re-signing of Zach Britton and the addition of Adam Adovino. Um, so um, let's start with you, Max. What would you say when... If you were the manager of the New York Yankees, given the changes in the roster um, and the changes that sort of have happened all around the Yankees, what would you say if you were asked, is this team better than last year's team? 
Uh, I would say absolutely. Just by looking at uh, even the smaller moves, like a DJ LeMayhu, or just adding, uh, just bringing back a CC or something like that. Just they're they've shored up a lot of holes. I mean, yeah, sure, they don't still have they don't have a lefty bat, uh, a lefty power bat in their lineup besides possibly Greg Bird. But Greg Bird's another a whole another conversation to be had. But yeah. Um, their bullpen stacked. I, I, as a manager, I'd be thrilled to manage a team like the Yankees just because they bring so much to the table at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the, the 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 idea of balance in the lineup, I guess, is sort of counteracted by the idea that a good hitter is a good hitter, regardless mm-hmm. of their of their um, you know what side of the plate they're standing on. Um, Andy, if you were in that situation, if you looked at, at the changes that have been made as well as who's still out there, of course, we'll get into Bryce Harper and Manny Machado at some point. It may not be tonight, but uh, you know, uh, what would you say given, given the perspective that you have now having seen the 2018 Yankees and sort of expecting what the 2019 team can put out there? Um, you know, I would have to, I would have to concur with Max's sentiments in the, in the regard that the team certainly is better. I think they're running out on opening day, a better roster than they did in on opening day of 2018 and even in the last game of 2018. But I think Aaron Boone's response of, I hope so, as a manager, I think that, honestly, as much as it might not behoove the fan base, is right where it needs to be because there is still so much that's contingent on Aaron Boone as the season progresses. And he isn't the one you know, going out and signing players and re-signing players. He's the one that has to take the roster that he's given and implement, implement it in the best way that he, you know, in the best way that he can. And I think if he said something along the lines of, oh, absolutely, we have a better team, or oh, my God, no way, he would obviously never say, oh, no way, we our team stinks. He would, you know, but if he were to say something like, oh, I mean, 100% we have a better team, the fallout on him that would come in the event that they did not perform to the standards that he has set himself or the standards that they set in 2018, it would just be, it would be astronomical, the, the failure that he would be projected. I mean, having been, however, responsible for, you know, running out each lineup every day and managing the game, how, you know, everybody has their grievances with his managing, you know, the managerial styles. But I think the, I hope so. I think that is in terms of PR and what he should say as the manager of the New York Yankees, not a player and not general manager and not the owner. I think that is absolutely spot on. And, I am not one, you know, I'm not going to go shilling for the for the front office or anything, but I think besides the fact that Boone gets a tough, you know, a tough break, I think that's a that's a good response to start the year and I think mm-hmm. we're off to a good start. So then given the the expectations around the team, uh, you know, 2017 they make it to game 7 of the ALCS and lose to Houston. They come into 2018 with the acquisition of John Carlos Stanton and the idea is that a team that was one game away from the World Series suddenly adds a reigning league MVP, and then they take a step back in theory by losing to the juggernaut Red Sox, won 108 games, got career years out of a ton of their guys. Um, would you, who would you say, given the changes in the offseason, um, we'll start with you, Andy, um, the, the, um, would you say that the changes that have happened, the Red Sox notably have re-signed Steve Pierce and, and re-signed Nathan Nivaldi and really have sort of maybe added a bit on the fringes with a bunch of minor league deals for fringe bullpen guys. Would you say that 
the Yankees have a better shot of of the redemption that they've been looking for since sort of getting embarrassed off their own field yeah. uh, uh, in the ALDS. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would I would assign like you know if I were assigning a word for the Yankees and the Red Sox offseason, I would say the Yankees were, you know, moderately ambitious. But I would I would also say that the Red Sox seemed complacent in their offseason. Uh, you know, their offseason moves. They they've added people like. Mejia, who's been banned from baseball like eight times, and re-signed Steve Pierce and let you know, you know, Jim. Yeah, they, they, that they went. They went for their World know. Series heroes. Yeah, they they went for their heroes, which was Ivaldi and exactly Pierce. like they've made they've made moves to maintain success, but none to to further success. And I think they've been complacent in the fact that they may not understand or realize just yet that they received career years from people like Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts. They received, you know timely performances from people like Jackie Bradley and Rafael Devers and Andrew Benintendi performed beyond expectations. So, you know, I thought he was just some glorified Brett Gardner coming out of the 2017 season, but he, you know, he proved to us to be a top five, top seven, you know, left fielder in this league. And I I think the notion that they may be riding with that all these players are going to perform to such standards again in 2019 is just absolutely ridiculous. And you know, I'm not going to say that the Yankees are going to go waltz their way to a division title because, I mean, we've seen that they haven't won since, what, 2012. It's despicable how, how much trouble they're having winning the division. But I think they are better poised right now, given what the Red Sox did last year, than they were in 2018, even with the acquisition of Giancarlo Stan and even without the acquisitions of, hypothetically, mm-hmm. much, uh, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. So I think, I mean, granted, one of the two of those players would put them just completely over the top, but... You know, I think they are in a great spot, and I would call the Red Sox, you know, dangerously complacent in their offseason. I like the yeah, I like I like the use of the word complacent. I think that that adequately um, takes into account that they they sort of uh, rewarded the guys who did well for them in 2018 with with a guarantee for the next year. I think you can't really say anything bad about what Evaldi did in the playoffs. He was otherworldly. He had a you know, his fastball, his cutter, it was crazy. And it was, it speaks to Alex Cora's aggressiveness when he utilized um, his starters out of the bullpen in the way that he did, because there was no second guessing. There was no, um, there was no hesitation to his managing style. He knew what he wanted to do with his pitching staff and he went about doing it. But when you talk about guys having career years, when you mentioned Devers, you mentioned Benintendi breaking out, um, Mookie Betts having one of the greatest seasons, you know, probably in Red Sox history. I can't really confirm that at this point. But when you look at that and attribute the Red Sox fortunes to that, you can look at what happened with some Yankees players and say, well, that had a hand in in the Yankees being what they were, which you, it's, it's unfortunate because you talk about it like it was a failed season when the Yankees won 100 games and it gets overshadowed because of the Red Sox winning 108 cruising to the division and ended up ending up winning another world series title. So Max, uh, you know, who would you say we, we saw Gary Sanchez hit one, 186, um, had a lot of, you know, bad swings. There were questions about his defense question about his, his durability. Um, who, who would you say needs to bounce back the most for the Yankees, uh, coming into 2019? Uh, I, I just, Gary Sanchez is the first one that comes to mind. When you said he hit below 200 last year, uh, in 2017 during the playoffs, he was uh, he, he had one of the greatest moments 
as a Yankee fan I've had in recent memory. Just his his double uh, being there was a fantastic experience. But overall, that season, Sanchez was great. Uh, in 2017, he was great. In 2018, it looked like he was playing hurt. Uh, and he just couldn't ever become his, look like his full, his complete self. And hopefully this year he can recover well from his shoulder surgery, uh, be healthy, uh, not, uh, kind of play to the narrative that he isn't a, a stable catcher. That's also something that I feel like may have gotten in his, in his mind last year. Everyone's saying, uh, that, Romine should be the catcher because Gary Sanchez is uh, just can't block, can't receive, and in reality, he's still one of the better. Uh, I don't, JP can definitely, he definitely looked this up for me. He was still one of the better uh, defensive metrically rated. I don't know how to phrase that. The defensive metrically rated uh, catchers in the league, but the bat just wasn't there, and so with the bat not being there, yeah. Uh, a lot of his, some of the, there was more, it looked like there was more flaws to his game catching wise. But again, with a healthy, healthy 2019, hopefully to come, I would believe, I, I would think that he would be able to step up and be the guy Sanchez that we all expect. It's not even the fact that you're getting back a player who has, you know, 280, you know, 30 home run, 95 RBI caliber, you know, that kind of player. But you're also, it's the fact that you're getting it from the catcher position, which is really overlooked in this game. Not that anybody would, you know, ever turn down such a prolific hitter at 280, whatever his 2017 slash line was, but the fact that you're getting it from a position that that historically produces such, lest I say, mediocre hitters, to get that in your lineup where most teams will have a guy like the Red Sox do, Sandy Leone, who hits you know, 170 with three home runs and 15 RBIs in a season, just that that's just completely invaluable and indispensable to the Yankees' success, I believe. Yeah, and um, to speak to the statistical side of it, what, what Max is referring to, there was a great um, deep dive done by James Smythe, the researcher for Yes Network, um, where he, he posted a whole thread when Gary Sanchez returned to the lineup in September, um, which he started with, with Gary Sanchez back in the lineup, here comes another why those pass balls are a drop in the bucket thread. And he discussed how with his um, blocking deficiencies, which can't be denied that he costs um, the Yankees approximately 12 runs extra in a season, but his ability to eliminate runners stealing bases um, cuts down 11 runs. So in that, in that realm, he's minus 11, you know, he's minus one, excuse me. So he prevents runs in a way that, guys like Austin Roman and Kyle Higashioka just don't do. And it goes without saying, if you cut out the outlier that is the 2018 season, if you look back at the 2016-2017 Gary Sanchez, which is a 284 hitter with a 568 slugging percentage, 923 OPS, 138 OPS plus, his ability to create runs offensively, his ability to frame, his ability to throw is what makes him easily a top five catcher in the league and people say yo what about the pass balls but there's statistics that show that he makes up for it both with the bat and with the throw it doesn't not with the you know with his throwing ability so the 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 argument is the pass balls are the ugliest aspect of his game and the problem is they are so obvious because they end up being an extra base no matter what when the ball gets by him but 
the statistics show that he is able to make up for those deficiencies by throwing, by um, framing well. He's a great framer. Um, Baseball Prospectus has um, framing stats, and he ranks um, – I need to look at the um, – the, the ranks for past seasons, but he's easily, um, you know, top in that, in that, um, category. Yeah. I'm pulling up the report right now. Um, based, I'm not going to use 2007, 2018 numbers because he didn't play the full season. But if we go to 2017, go to framing runs that these stats are via baseball perspectives, mind you, uh, Gary Sanchez was the 16th best catcher in terms of framing. And you have guys, who uh, who have a reputation? You everybody talked about JT Realmuto. JT Realmuto was he's 21st. extremely overrated, but that's an entirely um, like that's just a different argument. I'm sorry. And you know the the catchers who everybody kind of worships for being the gold standard. Buster Posey was a worse framer. Um, as was um, you don't get Yadier Molina on this list until um. Oh, goodness. He is deep on here. And you know who I'm tired about hearing? I'm tired. I am just completely sick of hearing about Salvador Perez. If I have to hear that guy's Salvador name. Salvador Perez is not a good catcher. If I have to hear his name He's in a like great the great catcher's catching. conversation anymore, his fat ass hitting God knows what every single He's season. Austin Gary has one bad season. Yeah, Gary has one bad season and everybody loses their fucking minds. But Salvador Perez can hit 170 and make six consecutive all-star teams and, and you know start on the damn team. But, you know, no one says anything about that. He doesn't run to first base. He barely fucking – what does he hit, 20 home runs a season, and and, and that's it. That's that's all he brings to the table anymore, and it's, maybe he's he's okay. His power numbers have been very solid, but the reality is if you look at it from the, the, from the lens of WRC+, Plus, which is one of those advanced metrics where you look at a hitter and the number, if it's above 100, means it's above league average. If it's below, it's below. Um, Salvador Perez has hit above league average once – from 2014 inclusive till today. And that was 2017 when he was a 103 WRC plus player, which means he was 3% above league average. And he's always been a good defender. He's always had, you know, he's always been kind of hovering around league average, but the reality is that his bat is nowhere near what it was when he first burst onto the scene was with those teams that won the world series. He's always been sort of a, you know, he, hasn't had an on-base percentage over 300, you know, since 2013, yeah, which is one of his best statistical Gary seasons. He has had the ability to have a batting average over 300 this year, and Salvador Perez hasn't had an on-base yeah, over I 300 think, in fucking eight years. I don't, I don't want to hear it anymore. Right, exactly. If you look at if you look at the the, the stats all the way back to 2013, he's been an All-Star in those five years. He's been an All-Star. 2013 through 2018 and he's batting 260 with a 291 on base percentage and a 437 slug which is a 95 ops plus which isn't great that's five percent below average but that just also speaks to the weakness of the catching crop in major league baseball at this point because you kind of have a and i wouldn't even say elite but you have a a strong set of guys like posey who's still an above average bat you have molina who is strong and um had those you know, he's had a string of great years, but once you get past Molina, Real Mudo and all that stuff, um, it sort of very much drops off. So we're going to head into our last segment. Uh, we want to discuss uh, some bold takes as we head into the 2019 season. We'll start with Max. Uh, well, my bold take, uh, definitely no one else is probably feeling this. I think Troy Tulowitzki plays in 100 games a season. Yes, 100. <laughs> Uh, like, 
I know Tulowitzki didn't play last year, barely played the year before that, and he kind of was a bust ever since he went uh, from the Rockies to Blue Jays. Uh, but I don't know. There's people been saying he's in the he's in really good shape. Uh, I just been saying kinda, about me too, Max. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like. I'm I'm just hopeful. Like hopefully he gets off. He just feels he's feeling himself in spring and get off to a good start in April. Isn't on the DL. I know. Maybe he gets he just stays healthy. I I just seriously think that he has a chance to play 100 games. I'll be honest. I agree. I think he's a talented guy. Obviously, everyone knows that, and he hasn't um, been the same since like 2013ish, right around then. But I feel like he has a um, I, um, I feel like he has a motivation to like, um, I guess like prove everyone wrong because he's on a league um, minimum and I think he wants to win. I think he just wants to um, get out there and uh, um, play. Fill in the shoes and of I, his favorite player too, Derek Jeter. I mean, if he's yeah, going to do it, unretire number two for him. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be adverse to the I think, yeah, I think he definitely has the ability to do it. The other thing is there was a lot of talk about um, what he looked like when he was auditioning for teams, essentially with the lack of risk around him because the Blue Jays are paying him so much money. And he ended up, I think I've seen reports that he was interested. There were up to 16 teams interested in him, and one of them is the Chicago Cubs, who definitely will need a shortstop with Addison Russell's uh, looming suspension. And he ends up he ends up on the Yankees with the five hundred forty-five thousand dollar deal, um, with the um, no trade clause as well. And I think he showed he must have shown enough to be through for all intents and purposes the presumptive starting shortstop for the Yankees. Um, Come come March, which I think is an astounding turnaround for a guy who did not play a single game in 2018. But the Yankees must have seen something. Obviously, I trust their ability to evaluate where they are at this point in the process. But it's it's an astounding thought to think that there's someone going from not playing a single year, you know, a single game in 2018, to going to be the Yankees' starting shortstop when they are, you know, in a in a way. World Series contenders. They're even favorites at that. And, I, yeah, I, I really just think it's remarkable that that turnaround. You said it. I mean, but I think in terms of a prediction. Yeah, I think we can trust Brian yeah, Cashman. I, mean, I, I usually tend to, and I don't really tolerate the slander that he receives from boomers and casuals on Twitter <laughs> that have no fucking idea what they're talking about. But in ter- uh, segueing to another prediction, I think for the 2019 season, we will see on the New York Yankees three position players batting at or above 300 and two starting pitchers at or below a three ERA on the season. And I think the two pitchers, obviously, I mean, you know, no surprise here will be James Paxton and Luis Severino. And I, if I had to pinpoint three hitters that would, you know, hit 300 for the season, I'm going to go with Aaron judge, Glaber Torres. And then it would be a toss up between yes, John Carlos Stan or Miguel Andujar. And I think there are other players on the team who have a capability of hitting 285 or above, you know, but 300 is like an upper echelon. And we've seen that Miguel Andujar can, you know, can produce at such a level, but you have to imagine that pitchers are going to adjust, even though to a player of his style where he just hits anything and hits it everywhere, it's, you know, Granted, I'm no major league pitcher and I'm not a pitching coach, but it is tough to adjust to, you know, to such a player like that. But I think 
we will see maintained success at the very least from Andujar. Whether or not he hits 300 is to be seen, but I think there will, regardless, be three players that hit at or above 300, and I am willing to go and guarantee that Aaron Judge will be one of them. I think it's also interesting to note about Andujar that he was, you know, within a bit of a sample size error of hitting 300 finishing last year at 297. Um, it's interesting to look at the, the when you say those guys hitting 300. Um, when you go into Picota, which is excuse me, um, baseball prospectus's um, projection program, the highest batting average that they project belongs to Luke Voigt, who they project to hit oh, 279 with a 349 on base percentage, which is the highest on the Yankees until you get down to Miguel Andujar, who they project to hit 271. Now, usually these projections are fairly conservative, but it's pretty interesting that they look at Luke Voigt. They look at, they look at what... Mm. No, believe me. Yeah, you should look at this list. Um, they have Judge hitting 261. Um, I don't understand that considering he's a career, what, 285? I mean, how you can um, – it's just unbelievable. Those like type of like conservative um, – I mean like usually yeah, – Predictions are really low on like on Judge. It's really weird because like – yeah. They you always have him as like, 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 like obvious high strikeouts that make sense, but like they don't factor in like the walks and the fact that dude's just gonna hit bombs. But kind of this guy is talented. Yeah, like he's more I mean, than he's, just like yeah. a home run hitter. He, he's a, he's a top he's a top five player in uh, okay a top five position player in the American League maybe. Uh, but he's top three. Top in the three. Entire okay. League. Okay. Oh, okay. He's okay. Top three in the entire league. All right. But going back to like what uh, Andy was saying about. Guys, you can see it in 300. You, you said, uh, what was I it? said, John Carlo. No, he said, Glaber, Stan, and Andujar, but I think Judge and Glaber are the lock ins. So, if I were to make that bold prediction, obviously I would go with Judge and, Gla- and, and Glaber as well, but I would go with like Luke Voigt. Like, Luke Voigt, if he's the real deal, like he could be a 280, 300 hitter somewhere in between there. Like, if he's the real deal, this dude's like a silver slugger contender, which is scary. I think about it. this dude is just he's a late bloomer that's like a very cardinal thing like guys like matt uh like matt adams uh matt carpenter like they're very like they're like they produce late blooming first baseman and luke void just comes over in the in the biggest in like an international signing bonus trade pretty much for, with Ch- jason shreve and giovanni gallegos and signing bonus money and y'all were y'all were sending me uh y'all were sending me Y'all were sending me uh, tweets earlier today when I was talking about – I tweeted out, like, Luke Voigt's my first baseman. It was his birthday. Happy birthday, Luke. Uh, and and you, I, I dug yeah. into your tweets and uh, and was like, wow, I found a tweet. Max Wildstein said that Luke Voigt cannot make contact for the life of no, him or something because when like he, that. When Luke, Voigt came, when Luke Voigt originally was acquired and he, he, was, and he came up, he came up for that Red Sox series. And I thought he was going to be, like, the next Tyler Austin against the Red Sox and just absolutely rake against them and, like, Chris Sale and stuff. Dude, dude, dude was a legit liability at the plate. He couldn't touch, and then he went back down. He came back up, and then he was God. It was, it was, it was. Yeah, I think, especially against well, Price. I think but that's what I mean. Uh, so is everyone else on the Yankees against Price? Exactly. Voight, Voight came up August second. He that was his first Yankees appearance in that Boston series. He went over for six. He had one walk and one strikeout. He had a 143 on base percentage. Then he went back down, came back up August 22nd. That was when he came back up for good. And that game against and from the Orioles. Then to the end, from then till the end of the season, he hit 357, 
431 on base, 765 slugging, which is equivalent to a 196 OPS, which is, of course, fantastic. He slugged 14 home runs and five doubles. And, um, you know, we we remember the moment where he hit that crazy triple in the wildcard game and the amount of times that he also put together just strong at bats. It looked like he knew what he was doing at the plate. He had a good approach. He, you know, it was almost a two to one strikeout to walk ratio, but you don't kind of fake your way into a 431 on base percentage. He, one of the things that was interesting was the Yankees knew his uh, peripherals in terms of hitting the ball, you know, his exit velocity, um, his launch angle, that stuff that gets so maligned in, in today's, you know, application of, of certain statistics. But that's what the Yankees look at with guys like Luke Voigt and DJ LeMahieu and say, you know what, this guy can be successful. They see he, he hits the ball hard. You want to hit the ball hard. And all you have to do is if you can start hitting the ball hard and stop hitting it on the ground, it, it's good. And I think that that's, that's a strong um, thing for the Yankees to have on their roster going forward. Yeah, no, John, let's get to no. your, uh, let's get to your uh, bold take. My yeah. Bold. All right. My bold take is Aaron Hicks will finish top five in MVP voting. Is this and for the National League when he gets traded? I think he's a complete stud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Mets for, yeah, of course. No. I think this guy is a total stud and his stats you know he's a 248 on hitter which isn't that good but okay 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 he's an on-base machine and this guy he puts the bat on the ball on when it counts and i think he's a lead all around i think he's a five tool guy honestly i i definitely agree with that take too and if he was able to finish what Top five in in AL MVP voting in his contract yeah. year. Oh my god, he's getting paid. I mean, Aaron Hicks, he'll be gone. He'll I'll be say gone. That. He'll hey. be gone. He's he's not he's not coming back. I think. Get ready for Esteban Florial in center or field. Bryce Harper, but I think. I mm, think oh, I don't know about him in center, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that that too. But <laughs> when they acquire from the Athletics and the deadline, huh. yeah. I I think like you know this. Whenever you mention this guy's name, it's like all right, you know, slow down. But I think Aaron Hicks is the closest. Lest I say it to Mike Trout that we have that's not named Mike Trout as an all-around player. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. I think he could definitely be considered a poor man's Mike Trout in the way that he he doesn't produce the average. You know, the at the hitting for average yeah. to hitting to for power ratio is definitely not the same. But according to to what I'm looking at here, he was a top twenty in OPS in Major League Baseball, a top fifteen in on base percentage, and top ten in walks. Mm-hmm. And top twenty in home runs because he hit twenty seven home and runs. And that's what his obligatory three week, you know, DL stint. He has. In the a, of every I literally have it up. He has like five different oblique oblique strains. Yeah. I mean, if this guy like is pays like healthy, like he can put up some monster numbers. Yeah, like, I think. I think a slash line of like two sixty, three ninety, maybe five fifty. Yeah, I think I mean, the, the hard thing to imagine with him is he doesn't his exit velocity is barely above average when you look at it for the league, but the thing is he has a hard hit percentage that's well above average and so you know he he there are a lot of times he does get pull happy, he does hit balls into the shift that he'll inevitably have against him. But he has a really good sense of what he's looking for when he comes to the plate. 
And that's an indispensable fact when you know what you're when you know what you want to hit. I mean, the last two years where he's sort of broken out and had more playing time with all the injuries to Ellsbury, he has a three sixty-eight on base percentage, which is which is great. And he's been a twenty-three percent better than league average hitter, which is fantastic. And so he it, you look forward to the the tantalizing idea of what healthy Aaron Hicks does if he plays 150 out of 162 games with his speed, his, his above average defense and a really good eye for getting on base and a really good eye for hitting mistakes into the seats. I think that that's something that makes him sort of underrated. Oh yeah. And that's oh, swing oh, smooth beautiful. too. I mean, and, but that's yeah, that just, left I mean, swing with the short besides one. It's like Ken Gurphy light out there. Oh, absolutely. Great. Um, we'll jump to my bold take, um, which is a little uh, different because it involves some roster changes. My bold take is that when we get to um, August 1st, which marks the first day of gameplay after the non-waiver trade deadline, I'm saying that as we look at the team now, the Yankees' left fielder for that day is not on the roster. I think the Yankees will end up regretting letting Bryce Harper go. I think that they... Are, we talked about complacency before. I think we will see the Yankees be too complacent with Clint Frazier and Brett Gardner and will end up moving prospect capital or calling someone who's not on the 40-man roster up to play left field. And I think the more they're going to get, they're going to, they're going to make a trade with the Phillies and get Shane Robinson back. Oh yeah. They'll, they'll, um, we could they'll get Stan Shane Robinson back from dope. Yeah, exactly. Salary down Stanton for Shane Robinson. I think they'll end up being dissatisfied. They'll be dissatisfied with what Gardner can still do at his age. I think he's perfectly tuned to be a fourth outfielder. With Ellsbury not being ready, what we found out today, I think the opportunity is so – it feels so obvious to me as a fan. I feel like it must be so obvious to Brian Cashman in the front office, but apparently not, of where Bryce Harper fits for this team. But at this point, I think that they end up making a trade for someone like – we, the, you saw the Dodgers were willing to talk about Jock Peterson. We've uh, seen yeah. that the Diamondbacks have been ready to move pieces with the right package. They could look at David Peralta, who's been an above-average hitter out west. Or there are other things that pop up. I know Marcelo Zuna is a pending free agent, um, as well as someone like Scooter Jeanette in Cincinnati, whom they've already worked with. Um, <laughs> and they've already talked about Scooter Jeanette, and they ended up making that trade with the Reds for Sonny Gray, where they acquired the competitive balance pick um, in exchange for Sonny Gray and uh, lefty reliever River San Martin, um, who pitched a double A um, for Shedlong, who they then flipped from the outfielder from Seattle. I think they end up wanting more out of left field, and I understand the respect that they give to Brett Gardner as a veteran, and I understand the tantalizing upside that exists in Clint Frazier, but the reality shows that um, Frazier can't be relied on because of his health. And the reality also shows that um, Gardner is not a consistent enough player to be relied upon for a 162-game schedule. And we saw that with the Andrew McCutcheon acquisition, who ended up being the left fielder down the stretch, um, with Brett Gardner being a fourth outfielder. And he showed he could do um, backup left field and backup center field in a pretty, you know, he was an above-average backup, but a below-average starter. And I think... They, the Yankees will realize that um, come July. And I, and I think my bold take is that the starting left fielder August 1st is someone who was not on the 40-man roster 
uh, on today, February 13th. And as much as I, you know, I'm on completely opposite sides of the spectrum with these two guys as in the, I love Brett Gardner as a player and as a leader on this team. And I absolutely hate every fiber of Jackie Bradley Jr. But they are effectively at this point, the same exact player and maybe, maybe JBJ is a bit better fielder, but I think he's a fraud and I think he's just an awful, you know, awful baseball player as a whole, but effectively at this point, they're the same player. And I think, on a team like the Yankees where they don't have the insurance necessarily that the Red Sox did last year and having the two hitters like Mookie and JD and even the other ones like Xander Bogart, I think, you know, great. obviously I'm not taking anything away from the Yankees lineup, but like you can't full well expect the Yankees to put together the best team they can with Brett Gardner playing anything more than 100 games this season. And I think it's just it, – I would feel duped as a fan – if I had to sit through a hundred plus games of Brett Gardner, as much as I love the man, I cannot stand to watch him dribble out to second base three times a game, and you know shallow pop ups to to left field and things. I, 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 yes, he's a great fielder. Yeah, great guy. Do it from the dugout. Do it in well, the ninth think- inning of a game. Do it on the second game of a doubleheader. Do it when you know who who the fuck's hurt. I don't know, but not every day. Not on opening day either, especially. Yeah, I think you look at the respect that they give CC Sabathia, but he's not the number one starter anymore. No, CeCe's he was the five at his peak one of the you know five best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball, but he's a five starter who they skip every once in a while because they know he needs time and he needs rest to be as good as he can be. And um, just a basic generalization: if you look at Brett Gardner's career, he's a two seventy four hitter in the first half in his career. In the second half, he's a 243 hitter. He drops tremendously just because he's such a grinder. He plays so hard, which is so great for who he is and what he brings to the team. But he, it's been known for years now that he grinds himself into the ground, which is unfortunate because they need him to, to be consistent. And unfortunately, he doesn't do and it. Honestly, so that's, why, I, that's my, why, in my opinion, I think they will end up making a move by that deadline because they will see. I, I, I love what the promise of Clint Frazier could be, but I just don't have the confidence in his ability to keep himself on the field. And honestly, if I saw Brett Gardner play 30 games before the All-Star break and then be the first half force that he usually is down the stretch and into the playoffs and things like that, either as a backup or you know filling in for somebody who's hurt, which is inevitable, especially with the Yankees at this point, I think that would be just – just you know, an unbelievable X factor that they could have down the stretch is to have a guy who, you know, such a you know ferocious hitter and such a plus defender down the stretch who wouldn't have all that first half wear and tear. He would only have fifty right. games under you know maybe let's say even eighty games under his belt come September. That would just be such an asset for the Yankees to have. And I think if we ended up seeing something like that, I would be, you know. Yeah, it would be astounding, and I don't think it's something that we can unfortunately rely on, especially because Ellsbury is already hurt. Frazier is sort of the last line of defense with with Cave gone, McKinney gone. Um, their their depth is like Ryan McBroom, Matt Lipka, Billy Burns, and that's you know I'm forgetting oh Trey Ambergy, and that's basically it. And Florial, who's why not Stanton? Stanton can play the outfield. And let, but I wouldn't necessarily want him out there as my first option. I mean, everyone seems to forget. He hurt his he hurt his oblique last year. I think part of the thing with Stanton is that he got used to DHing and then got put in the field when Judge got hurt. And I think 
people say they don't like becoming a DH, you know, they don't like going back and forth. And I think that that kind of showed itself that you end up having to be a full-time designated hitter, whether you like it or not, because it, it ends up messing with your ability to be ready every day because you be ready to hit and run the bases or you'll be ready to do everything. And I think that Stanton kind of lost that edge, which is nothing against him, especially coming to the American League and being a designated hitter for the first time. But there's there's a um, a change in focus, a change in preparation that comes with that. You know, you say that a designated hitter is just um, it's just being a, like half a baseball player, but at the same time, you, you you will end up losing your effectiveness if you don't keep yourself sharp on on playing the field. And, and we know that so. so much of a 162 game season is completely habitual. So once you have to like if you're spending half a season getting into one groove and half the season getting into another groove, it's, you know, you're bound to get messed up at some point. I mean, that's just human nature. It's, it's nothing against John Carlos right. Stan, who's a phenomenal player. It's just, he's human and you can't, yeah, I definitely can't expect him to just, you know, snap his finger and, and, you know, miraculously <clears throat> turn into this guy who can just go back and forth. But yeah, definitely. And uh, the one last thing that I'll say uh, before we wrap this up is, is I expected Stanton to play a little more right field and I expected judge to DH a little bit more. I expected it to be a little more, not exactly 50, 50, but uh, it was, it felt like it was almost, you know, 85, 15 when it should have been maybe 70, 30 between them being in the outfield and DHing. And I wonder if the fact that both of them are healthy now will allow them to have that sort of balance. But um, that's the sort of thing that we'll see as, as spring progresses. Um, pitchers and catchers reported today and are, um, we're well on our way towards 2019 season as the Yankees look for ring number 28. We've got five days until position players report and 10 days to go until the Yankees open up their Grapefruit League uh, schedule with a matchup against the Boston Red Sox uh, at 105 from Fort Myers. I believe the Red Sox are in Fort Myers. Oh, gosh, did I mess that up? Uh, we'll see. I think they're in Fort Myers. Who gives a but shit? But that's not important. Fuck yeah, them. It, yeah, it, it is Fort, Minor, uh, Fort Myers. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's they open up. It's on MLB Network. It'll be great to watch the Yankees be uh, on the field playing actual baseball again. And I think that's uh, what we're all excited for. So um, thank you for standing by through uh, – what we're hoping will be the first of many uh, awesome episodes with a lot of insight, a lot of um, bold but but well-backed-up and well-researched takes on uh, Bronx Bombers. Um, I'm super excited for what we've been able to talk about and for what we're going to be able to talk about as we go forward. So. And I can promise you guys, if, if this one sucked, it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, we're, it's all uphill. It's all uphill. You know, it's a learning curve. We're going to get there. With your help, we're going to incorporate fan interaction via Twitter, via, you know, voicemails, different things. We're going to be as interactive as possible, and we are going to make this the podcast for the fans, by the fans. You know, as cliche as that sounds, we want you guys to dictate just as much as we do. And, you know, we sky's the limit, guys. Sky's the limit for us and for, the, to get there. and for the Yankees, and we are going to. We're going to get there together. Exactly. So I uh, just want to say thank you to everybody who's uh, tuned in. Uh, and a special thank you, of course, to the people who are making this possible. We've got John, we've got Andy, we've got Max and myself, JP. Um, thank you for tuning into the inaugural episode of Core 4. And we will see you again soon with more coverage from uh, about the Yankees as they prepare for their 2019 season. Thanks so much for listening.